Welcome, friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Keena. I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. We are a historian and some special guests delivering you these spooky and weird historical game nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is Games Part 1 with Three Spook Girls. Yay! So glad you guys are here. I love your podcast. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for we're, inviting us. Yeah, we're so happy to be here. Tell everybody about your podcast. If they don't know, I'm sure they do, but just in case. <laughs> so we are a paranormal and true crime podcast, kind of like that meme where it's a dash of true crime. That's where we're a paranormal podcast with a dash of true crime. So we publish <laughs> twice a week and we do all kinds of stuff from cold cases, solved cases, serial killers, and then all the haunted stuff. It's a lot of fun. Oh, I love the haunted stuff. <laughs> it's the thing that gets me going. I love it because it's tricking people into learning history because you have to know mm-hmm. the background. Exactly. <laughs> we try really hard to bring like a historical element to it and like actually talk about the places. Like when we did Chillingham, it was like, okay, maybe we should let people know why this is an important castle <laughs> and not just a haunted castle. Yes. It's so much fun. I love going on like, ghost tours. Oh, it's my favorite thing. So fun. Can't wait till the after times when we can do things again. I just right. miss them. Mm-hmm. And how long, you guys, what, two years? Three years? Just a little over two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. What got you into podcasting? What was the idea that sparked <laughs> it all? Well, that was my fault. <laughs> so I have, to get, I have to give a little backstory because it would not make sense if I don't. So back in 20, I'm like, what? Again, with the years. Yeah. 2018. It was it was summer of 2018 just because Bachelorette weekend. We went, we all went to Disney. And then me and my sister stayed a little extra to spend some time with her. And it was great. I have been listening to podcasts for probably a year or so before that. I got into like, and that's why we drink lore, you know, those early ones. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we talk about this stuff all the time. Why the hell don't we just try it? And it's built-in friend time. And I was like, cool, I'm going to see Jessica in person for the first time in a few years. I'm going to ask her. And then we got to the bachelorette thing and everyone was great. And I was just like, well, it's kind of weird. I'm going to wait till after when, you know, not to like take away from the weekend. Right. Mm-hmm. So then it was just her, my sister and I, and we're all like family. So this is I'm just like, Tara, you're dumb. It's fine. No, I chickened out and did not ask her. We even sat oh. at the Long Beach airport for like an hour plus and nope, <laughs> didn't say shit. <laughs> and then from there, we both flew home. And the following day, once we were like coherent, I sent her this novel of a text just being like, we should do this. But if you think it's dumb, it's fine. No big deal. Okay, please uh, do it because it is a big deal, I think. <laughs> and... She said yes, and we just kind of jumped into it and started recording. (laughs) Yeah, she's not kidding. Like, she sent me a novel, and I literally (laughs) sent her, like, less than a five-word response. (laughs) Sure, let's do it. (laughs) it I don't even think it was that. I think it was like, yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) It was really, (laughs) she put all of this thought and, like, passion into this thing, and then I'm just the total dickweed who's like, sure. (laughs) tell me what mic to buy let's do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I'm also the person when it's something super important and super I get super nervous which is ridiculous because her and I are basically like sisters Mm. I just over talk like I say way too much I get too long-winded so I think that's what happened I just kept typing and typing and typing (laughs) I'm like okay I need to shut up (laughs) such a cool genre too true crime Mm -hmm. has really taken off in the last few years we were talking about America's Most Wanted 
and how we grew up watching that like on television. And when you really think about it, it's no surprise that our generation is obsessed with true crime because it was the number one primetime television show for like 25 years. So of course we're obsessed with it because that's what was put in front of us to consume. I mean, now I'm just glad that podcasts exist because now we get to talk about. I mean, that's true. Everything on TV. And then as we got older, we had like CSI and then criminal minds. And I was Mm -hmm. obsessed with criminal minds. I loved that show. And, me too. <laughs> I've just forced Tara to start watching it. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, we were in the middle to last three fourths or last quarter. I can't even math right now <laughs> of NCIS. So I was like, all right, once we get through this, we'll watch it because my husband likes those kind of shows too. So we're a good portion into season one. So I am really liking it. And what's been your favorite topics that you've covered? Do you prefer things like missing persons or serial killers or? I think for me, uh, it's the cases that like really stick with me. We just did a case, Charlie Wyrick. That was a case that one of our patrons brought to us as a patron select. And I'm so thankful that I got to tell that story because it's about a young mom who just got into a bad relationship and domestic abuse took over and her story can help hundreds of other people who need that like wake up call that like it can go that it can go too far and telling that kind of a story or Heather Elvis is another one that like sticks with me all of the time. Like I am obsessed with this story. I have two different email accounts <laughs> that have Google alerts set for her so that I don't miss anything because I want to know like if they find her because we need those answers. I like the haunted stuff, but I love true crime more. I'm a podcast resident skeptic slash chicken shit. So, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't like this. Like we did one case and I was like, Mm-mm, I don't like this at all. It's too scary. No, no. <laughs> I really scared a lot of people with that. It was oh, yeah. the Zozo demon house in Oklahoma. Oh. Yeah. I scared people and I was like, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry and about I was it. not okay. I was not okay with it. I had heard it first. So I was like, mm-hmm. I don't like it. Yeah. Demons freak my shit out. I do not do not like that's why when we did like (laughs) religions i was like i'm not doing Mm. demons Mm -hmm. i don't even want to say their names i'm such a chicken shit too (laughs) i even have like a rosary i'm not catholic but i'm like just in case you know i need the extra help (laughs) can't hurt can't hurt what's yeah yeah and how about you tara what's your favorite so oh my gosh okay so for one that we've done on the podcast i've recently become very invested with Kristen Smart. I know that's kind of like an oldish one. And but I really like I don't want to say like, but I gravitate towards cold cases. And then I was we haven't done an episode or anything. We probably will because I am like obsessed with it now. Did it for TikTok, the Amy Bradley disappearance, the girl who disappeared off the cruise ship. Oh yeah. And yeah, it's just I was like six or seven when it happened. So I didn't know about it. And I am, it's just, those are just so insane to me. And it breaks my heart so bad for those families. Cause it's like that weird thing. Cause we talked about it in Kurt Cobain, you know, he has been gone for as long as he's been alive for Amy. She's been gone for the age she was when she disappeared. Oh, wow. So, you know, that just breaks my heart. And it's more than likely a human trafficking issue. I feel like with certain cases that I don't know, Maybe it's just the podcast I consume, but I feel like that specific problem 
in life and stuff isn't really talked about too much. So that kind of has now sparked me kind of wanting to look at other cases like that. But yeah, the cold cases, they cling to me so bad to my little heart. Oh, it's yeah. different because I don't do a lot of modern stuff, but I can imagine it's kind of draining and it's just really sad because, you know, there are people that could be like our age or, you know, the their family's still alive and you guys do good work. Oh, thank you. Much. But I always love how you guys present stories. They're always so well done and, you know, respectful to the victims and their families. Yeah, that's our number one thing. And it's like, I feel like TikTok really opened that realization. Our stuff can, you know, come across these victims' families' radars because Jessica's had it happen. I've had it happen numerous times. That's the thing with true crime. Some people don't realize, you know, this isn't just about entertainment. Like, these are true stories. These are real people. And when the sto- when the episode's over, yeah, the story's over for you, but it's their lives. So, mm-hmm. no, it's not, you know. So, we always try to be as respectful as possible with it. thousand percent. I couldn't agree more. Just with the case that we just did with Charlie, Kathy, who requested it, was her high school friend. Oh, wow. Like, knew her. And then told other people in that group to listen. So we know that it's touching people that this young woman was a part of their lives. And so that's why for me, it was such a great honor to be able to tell the story because I was giving this young woman who was taken way too early a voice into the world. And Tara said, our number one responsibility on this podcast isn't entertainment. It's to the victims. Mm -hmm. I think this is like the first realization for us is like when we we were doing Ted Bundy and we realized that like we didn't even know most things about the victims. Yeah. Like how many or approximately, but we didn't know their names. We knew their, we knew like the big ones, like the first one. And then like the one that was one of the ones that was taken at the lake or something like that. But like not knowing that there were so many who they were, their age range. So we were like, you know what? We're going to set some time in this episode aside to say their names and their ages and talk about them because they matter. And there, there are families that are still grieving their loss. Yeah. I would think that if I was in that situation and I heard a podcast be like, we remember you, we honor you, you should have had a be- like a life and this asshole took it from you. I would feel like, wow, someone cares. And I I can't imagine being a family member of a victim of Ted Bundy. All they talk about is Ted fucking Bundy. And they never talk about his victims. And they glamorize him to a point where he was Mm -hmm. so charming or he was so handsome. And it's disgusting. I've seen people getting tattoos of teeth marks and shit. Like, no. That's that's horrifying. I hate it. I I, I hate the idea of the people just... Yeah, glamorizing killers and then also not saying their names. You know, a lot of cultures and a lot of religions, everybody believes that you live as long as people say your name. So I think it's so important that we continue to say the victims' names. Usually if we talk about a killer or something more recently, we're just like, fuck that guy. And we refuse to say his name (laughs) because I'm just like, they don't deserve it. Like, right. They don't deserve the attention. So I think the only modern ones we've really done is Zodiac Killer. and. I think a couple of cults, but we're like, yeah, fuck those guys. We're going to talk about everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Do we want to jump into some spooky change? Yes. Change gears a little bit. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to kick it off with a little bit of background on the Ouija board. And I know that I've heard the history of the Ouija board. 
you know, on podcasts and stuff, but I don't think Mm -hmm. I really absorbed it (laughs) because a lot of this was surprising to me. But the exact origins of it are really fuzzy, which made fact checking this a huge bitch because I found (laughs) a lot of things that sounded really cool. But then I was looking at what it came from and it was like psychic science.com and i'm like well i don't know if i trust that and i couldn't find a whole lot so if i say allegedly that means i couldn't find where they got this from so gotcha. we understand we did numerology so a lot of oh, that that'd be yeah so this is what this website says <laughs> yeah i always like to have a dot org you know something to make me feel mm-hmm. comfortable that people right are like, a little thrilled. more official yeah <laughs> But a lot of this came from the Smithsonian, Brown University, and then the official websites of William Fold, and then this guy named Robert Merck, who is an official Ouija historian, which I didn't know was a job, but I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) The Ouija board itself is about 135 years old, even though the idea of it seems like in our consciousness, I think a lot of us think it's much older than that, probably Mm -hmm. because the idea of communicating with spirits is pretty ancient. You know, there's been ancient divination in Greece. One of the alleged things is people like, oh, Pythagoras used to use a talking board to unearth his revelations. And I was like, well, I can't find that anywhere. That's official. (laughs) But he did have a wheel of Pythagoras that was kind of like a divination type things. There might be some truth to that, but I'm not I'm not going to put money on that. (laughs) But but there were instances of automatic writing, which is a type of writing that's produced by spiritual, occult, or subconscious agency rather than your conscious agency. And it was noted in 1100 CE in the China Song Dynasty documents, and it's known as Fuji Planchette or Pendulum Writing. That one I could find actual evidence, and that's pretty cool. And then there was also a connection to talking boards in ancient Rome where two people allegedly used one to predict the successor to the king. And according to brown.edu, which seems like a reliable source, they were tried for treason and eventually were hanged and the claimed successor was immediately executed. So I was like, well, that escalated incredibly quickly. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So here we are. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Sorry for those guys. They're probably, we're just playing a game. No. But the real history of the Ouija board is just about as mysterious as how the game works. So the historian I talked about, Robert Merck, has been researching this since 1992. Mm. When he started his research, he says, quote, no one really knew anything about the origins. And it struck him for such an iconic thing that strikes both fear and wonder in American culture. How can no one know where it actually came from? Which I was like, that is an excellent point. <laughs> but we all know what it is. We've all known somebody that's played it. But... Nobody knows really where it came from. Part of the mystery. Yes. The yes. Makes it a little <laughs> bit more scary with this like, <laughs> random thing that helps us communicate with a different plane. It's true. <laughs> and even though it does seem ancient and they made them look old and the original ones had very Egyptian motifs to make it seem very, you know, wildly ancient. It's actually from the American 19th century. And it came out of the obsession with spiritualism, the belief that the dead are able to communicate with the living. So spiritualism is wild ride. So I'm skimming the surface, but there's definitely more to get into here. But it was around in Europe for a really long time, but it hit America really hard in 1848. The Fox sisters, if you've ever heard of them, they were in upstate New York. Mm. They were a hit. They were like a celebrity. They claimed to receive messages from spirits who rapped on walls to answer questions. And then they took the show on the road and they were recreating this all over the place. 
So their celebrity status, along with other spiritualists, it really reached millions of people. And this whole movement reached its peak about the second half of the 19th century. And it worked really well with Americans because it was compatible with their Christian dogma. So you could go to a seance on Saturday night and not feel guilty about going to church on Sunday. There wasn't a weird (laughs) stigma behind it. They were like, this checks out. Let's do this. I like it. It was acceptable, but I dare say it was a wholesome activity because it was still like a family thing. Like it was marketed to be family entertainment at this point in time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't until later, and we'll get into that, that it was like, oh, demons. But at this point, it wasn't about that. (laughs) Because that's my first thought is like, oh, demons, get away. (laughs) Do not lie. (laughs) They were also doing automatic writing. There were seances, table turning parties where the participants placed their hands on a small table and then watched it shake and then yelled at each other that they weren't doing it. I mean, they didn't have TV. <laughs> They're just—I'm not doing. I swear to God, it's not me. Yeah. I mean, there's no other entertainment. I guess you could read in the dark or something. But I could imagine that something like this would be so entertaining because you have yeah. nothing else to do. Oh man, I can my my week of no power taught me that I would suck as somebody in the 19th century because I was like, <laughs> I can't see my book. I'm bored, and it was awful. <laughs> Spiritualism offered a form of solace in an era that was just ravaged by death. So the average lifespan was less than 50 at this time. Women Mm. were dying in childbirth. Children died of disease. Men were dying in war. Even Mary Todd Lincoln, you know, wife of old Honest Abe, conducted a lot of seances in the White House when their 11-year-old son died in 1862. I think it was the yellow room in the White House was her seance room. Yeah, she's very famous. She did a did a lot of them in there. I know she did them. I just c- couldn't remember the room. Yeah. I think this is like where I grew up. It was like, oh, conservative area. They wouldn't have mm-hmm. been like, had Mary Todd Lincoln perform <laughs> like, And she was a witch and we burned her. <laughs> yes. I just vaguely remember it because I did a White House episode. And I remember it being one of the rooms that ended up being mm-hmm. like where they signed things and stuff. I was like, well, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of ghosts in the White House, apparently, too. So that's... Mm, makes sense. I like it. Yeah. During the Civil War, it exploded even more. People were desperate to connect to their loved ones who had died or just disappeared, never came home. So they wanted to know what happened. Like, were they alive and somewhere else? Or did they pass away? And again, keep in mind, all this was totally normal. So it wasn't like somebody was playing with Ouija board and everybody's like, oh, God, what are you doing? That's, uh. Like, no, it was just what you did. As spiritualism grew... So did the frustration with how long it took to get the messages, because this at this point, you're still knocking on walls and shaking tables and everybody's like, oh, it's so boring. I just want to know what you're trying to say. <laughs> and at this point, they had actually been doing things like knocking out the alphabet and then waiting for the numbers and stuff. So can you imagine how long it would take? You know, how- uh, no, thank you. <laughs> Especially like kids being like, who am I going to marry? My husband's name's Zeke. I'd have to wait the whole thing to get a Z. Like, that would be horrible. Oh just knocking. Just, oh, God. <laughs> I would lose count. What yeah. would my husband's first name be? A letter of his first name. And then you counted it wrong. And so you're like, it's going to be oh, a no. Z, But it was really an S. Yeah. my no. <laughs> like, ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm looking for a T. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i have the attention span of a gnat and i'm adhd i'd be like i've already lost count let's Aww. start over let's wrap this up <laughs> and at this point communication was kind of speeding up because they had telegraphs so it's kind of like us you know before cell phones we had you know landlines and 
dial up. And then mm-hmm. once we have high speed internet and cell phones, we don't want to wait for anything. Like I would never wait as long as I waited in high school to get on the computer. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I remember sitting there for like 30 minutes for things to load. And now I'm just like mm-hmm. two seconds in. I'm like, why are you taking so long? <laughs> So they were getting very impatient. And there were a lot of entrepreneurs out there that saw the demand for this, but it wasn't until the Kenner Novelty Company saw it and ran with it that they really nailed it. So in 1886, the fledging Associated Press reported on a new phenomenon taking over the spiritualist camps in Ohio, the talking board. It was, for all intents and purposes, the Ouija board. It had the letters and the numbers and the planchette and the planchette is the little heart thingy that points at things. I think everybody knows what that is. And the article went all over the country. And this guy named Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland acted on it. So he pulled together a group of seven men in 1890 to create this commercial success. And he literally put this in almost every home in North America. So these men are Charles W. Kennard, Harry Wells, Rusk, Colonel Washington Bowie or Bowie. I don't know. Elijah Bond, William H.A. Maupin. <laughs> John T. Green and William Fold, and five of these men, so Kennard, Russ, Bowie, Maupin, and Green, pooled their land, resources, and money to create this board in the beginning. And none of them were spiritualists. They just businessmen. They saw a niche and was like, I want that cash money. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. There was no part of them were like, yeah, this works. They were like, no, people are going to believe <laughs> it works. <laughs> That's what I wanted. And there's also some controversy that this guy named E.C. Reich was involved. And some people think that he actually made the first few. He was a cabinet slash coffin maker. So he was a busy man, I guess. There's a few articles from the 1800s that talk about him. And then some of the later stuff leave him out. So the historian believes that he was involved. He just was left out later. So the board lacked a name. And contrary to popular belief, Ouija is not a combination of the French yes, we, and German jaw, like a lot of people think. The historian says it's based on this experience they had where Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, who was supposedly a very strong medium, was playing with it. And she was like, what's your name? And it spelled out Ouija. And they asked what it meant. And it said, good luck. And then a lot of people were like, oh, that obviously is Egyptian. And that's how it became all the motifs on the original one that was Egyptian. It was kind of cryptic and eerie. And Peters acknowledged that she was wearing a locket bearing a picture of a woman named Ouija above her head. But the story that emerged afterwards said that the locket that she was looking at, it was a different name that was just misread. It was actually Ouida, I think. I don't know. Words are hard. And according to this historian's interviews with the descendants of the founders of this board, they all said that this is exactly what happened. So it's a legend that kind of evolves, but they all think that it was just her playing with it and her seeing that name being like, I'm going to say that. And then it just went from there. Interesting. I love this guy that he's been just picking out the truth and the the legend and trying to mm-hmm. get to like what really happened, which I find really interesting. Yeah. But I like that he sought out the actual family members be like, what did they tell you? Right. Yeah. I like that because it's so easy just to go with what we perceive it now and just kind of rewrite the history of it other than him who's going to fact check him. Especially like word of mouth, everything gets blown out of proportion and stuff too. Mm -hmm. So it's totally easy to just, you know, oh, I've always heard it. So of course that's what that means. Mm -hmm. Then they needed a patent so that nobody else could make this. And knowing that they couldn't prove that the board worked, they were afraid they weren't going to get their patent. So they brought Peters, the the medium, to the office in Washington 
to file the application. And then the chief patent officer demanded a demonstration and said that if the board could accurately spell out his name, which was supposed to be unknown to all of them, that he would allow them to get their application that day. So they all sat down, communed with the spirits, and she actually spelled out his name. Apparently freaked his shit out, but he did give them the patent that day. They just figured they figured out somehow before then what his name was. And this was kind of yeah. like a ruse, but it's a fun story. Name tag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like right there the whole time. <laughs> I have a picture of it, which I didn't know Google patents was a thing. Interesting. So that's the original design. Oh, okay. So they patented it under the E.G. Bond guy's name. Mm-hmm. And that was what the original planchette looked like. Oh. Yeah, and it looks like those things you put on pizza so they don't smush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the little goodbyes, two people shaking hands. I don't recall them ever seeing one that had that, so I thought that was interesting. Oh. It's adorable. Right? Hi. That. <laughs> but it's really interesting. If you have time to like just Google the patent, it has all the information. Interesting. Cool. It's, they called it an Egyptian luck board. And mm-hmm. <laughs> just they're making it very, you know mystical and they try to explain what the game was but they also didn't explain what the game was because as like we said earlier like if it's mysterious you know people are going to be more intrigued Mm -hmm. Uh, that was my next bullet the first patent offers no explanation to how it actually works just says that it does which is brilliant i just love that like just take my word for it it works don't worry about it by 1892, the Kinder Novelty Company went from one factory in Baltimore to two in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London. They were selling so many of these things. And then by 1893, Kinder and Bond were bought out. Around this time, William Fold, who had gotten in on the ground floor, he wasn't really one of the top dudes. He wasn't investing anything. But he eventually ended up being a major stockholder and was running the company. And he was not the inventor, obviously, but because of his involvement of running it for such a long time, people just assumed that he was. And even his obituary in the New York Times declared that he was the inventor. Some sources say that he did try to claim that he was, but some people said he wasn't. But he actually sued anybody else that said they were. (laughs) He apparently sued people till the day he died. Oh, wow. That's a Which, guy. <laughs> his death is wild. Here we go. So in Ooh, 1927, he died in a freak fall from the roof of his new factory, a factory that the board told him to build to, quote, prepare for big business. Somebody pushed him. Fell, <laughs> fell off the roof of his factory. <laughs> so the story from the people that were there says that he was up on the roof to supervise the replacement of a flagpole. Like, mm. I don't know why you need to supervise that, but whatever. So according to the Baltimore Sun that was reporting on this, quote, he was standing near the edge of the roof, grasping an iron support of the pole to study himself. The workman said when the support suddenly pulled away, he toppled over backwards. And like out of a movie, he grabbed the sill of an open window who somebody suddenly closed and it sent him crashing down to the sidewalk below where he broke several ribs, but he was alive at this point. Oh my God, no. <laughs> and Telly is on the way to the hospital. They hit a bump in the road and oh. it sent one of the fractured bones through his heart and he <gasps> died. Oh my God. This is, so this is like so final sad. destination shit. Right? <laughs> so bad. This oh my is gosh. so multi person plan. This, so this could all look like a freak accident. I mean, yes. have just someone pushed him off a roof. Someone closed a window on him. Yep, like, they were waiting. They were waiting. They're like, all right, I'm going to do it. 
Bam. <laughs> they just have like ever like at every window just have like a person there to like shut it in case he grabbed a hold. And then I don't think they hit a bump. I think someone just was like, push it a little Boop. bit. Let's just push it. Oh, I love to theorize this kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. It sounds like a movie or like a cartoon, you know, yeah. where things just it just sounds mm-hmm. too insane to be true. And at the point of our story is more plausible than what happened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> True. It is. It is. So by the time it is death, all the investors had bought their way out or, you know, given their shares away. So he was the sole owner at that time. Board was super popular and it still is today, honestly. And the only people that didn't really like it at this time were mediums because they felt like they were the middleman and they're being cut out. Mm. It was a good business plan. Good for him. Sorry about your tragic death. Which is like, you can't even make this stuff up. But one of the things about the popularity is it seemed to spike during times of really, you know, terrible circumstances in the U.S. or uncertainty. So like 1910s, 20s, after World War One, during World War One, it spiked. During Prohibition, it spiked. And it was so popular that Norman Rockwell even painted a painting of people playing with one. It's just wow. he's so wholesome. But yeah, it's just a man and a woman communicating with the board on and he named it the Saturday Evening Post. That's <laughs> it's so <laughs> interesting. It was just such hmm. a part of America. And during the Great Depression, they actually had to open a new company or, or like a new factory because it was so popular. In over five months in 1944, one department store sold 50,000 of them. Oh my god, that's yeah. so many. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people were struggling in the Depression, but they Mm -hmm. wanted these things. And then in 1967, the year after Parker Brothers brought the game from the Fold Company, 2 million board games were sold, which outsold Monopoly, which is normally their bestseller. Wow. And then that same year that it outsold that was the year troops went to Vietnam. And Mm. then also there was race riots in Newark, Detroit, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee. And so there was just a lot of like cultural, our country was struggling and again, it spiked. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the things like you can see a correlation that's just kind of undeniable. There were some instances where people like murdered somebody and was like, it's all me to do it. But at this point, everything was pretty non-threatening until 1973 when the exorcist came out and scared the shit out of everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. So people saw that and it was like a kid playing with the board, getting possessed by a demon. They were like, oh, hell no. It was like Psycho. Nobody was afraid of the shower until Psycho came along. And now mm-hmm. everybody has that in their head that they're it's a tool of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> and then also became a trope. So a lot of scary movies, scary TV shows, everybody uses that. It's kind of like a plot device. Yeah. And then outside of the theater, people started using the board, you know, like religions were denouncing it as Satan's preferred method of communication. (laughs) That's a quote. (laughs) I like that Satan sat down and had a thought process. (laughs) You know, email is not the thing that I want to do. Yes. I don't want to use text. I just want to use this board. It's my preferred method. Please, please like check this in all forms that you have. (laughs) Yes. And then they started doing the burning. So there was giant bonfires where people are burning copies alongside Harry Potter and Snow White. Makes Aww. perfect sense. Snow White. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Uh, banned like, books are the wild. Disney version or like the actual like story? Because that would make sense because that thing is pretty creepy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. The original stories are dark. <laughs> oh, yeah. So dark. 
But yeah, band books are weird. Even Anne Frank's band in a lot of places. It's wild. Like Indian in the cupboard. Because they talk about masturbation and they're like, oh no. Church things. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Oh. Like bigger picture people, she starved to death. Like, let's not be so. So then after Parker Brothers sold it, it went to Hasbro. Hasbro. God, why can't I talk today? They still sell hundreds of thousands of them. Though the reason people buy them now is a little bit different because now is everybody's really into the spooky rather than the spiritual. And mm-hmm. it has like a tinge of danger now because people are like, what's going to happen? You know, it could be bad. It could be good. It could be fun. So it's a little bit different now in modern times. I did see that recently they kind of revamped the look to look more like the older ones. I think for a while oh. it was more modern-y and there was like a glow-in-the-dark one. But now it looks more mm. rustic and ancient again. I mean, I like the fact that it would be glow in the dark. That would give it like more of an ominous feeling. Like, yeah. I remember there used to be this, it doesn't exist anymore, some store, but it was all like the real novelty gifts and stuff. And I remember them being glow in the dark ones there. Mm -hmm. Spencer's. No, it was something else. It was like, (laughs) I can't remember. It was small town Arkansas. There's no telling. According to science, Ouija boards are not demons or spirits. It's basically this effect called the, oh, how do you say that? diameter effect seems like a simple word that i'm gonna butcher it but the (laughs) idea is that you have these automatic muscular movements and that you make them subconsciously and especially if you have a lot of people doing at the same time it's gonna seem like you really truly don't think you're moving it but your body is moving it so that's the idea that most people go with and i did see that they are using ouija boards and people doing this to try to study your subconscious so there's psychiatrists out there trying to study how this works. That's pretty interesting. That is. And recently, there's another resurgent. But again, like life's not been so great lately. So now people are like really into them again. But I'll just end with this little key story. So Elijah Bond, the guy that did the patent for the board, had an unmarked grave for a really long time. And they thought he was lost to history. But he was recently discovered. And they made him a tombstone. That is so cute. It's not cute. It's. That's a weird word to put that, Kina. But really interesting. <laughs> That's what I want to say. It's okay. It could be cute <laughs> yeah. and interesting. Yeah. Well, it's got the little shaky hand cute guys at the bottom. And Aww. Like, oh. I like that. That's really cute. I, I'll go ahead and call it cute. Yeah. yeah. So it's the original Ouija board. And that's nice. Back. Nice. That's really cool. And you said you had some spooky stories now that I've shot on it with all the science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after we talked yesterday, I went into our main Facebook group and was like, I need Ouija board stories. Because I was like, I could go online and find random people's stories. But I was like, let me see if any of our listeners have them. Because, you know, that's always fun. So I got quite a few and I emailed most of them back. I'm like, can I use this for a listener's episode later? Oh, my God. This is so scary. <laughs> <laughs> so I only I picked two. They were definitely my favorite. One's a little shorter, but the other one is actually from one of our listeners who she has so much creepy stuff happen to her. It's Erin, Jessica. So yeah, like this all woman is stuff. just like <laughs> a magnet for it, creepy just, stuff. Just around her. She's given yes. us so many stories. Oh, oh my I god, love yes. It. So it's like, okay. I know that there's like logic, but I still believe in this stuff. I, I would be so scared. Yeah. I'd never want to play with one because I still think a demon's going to pop out. <laughs> like, uh, no. That's mm-hmm. like the hard line hard no. for Tara and I. We're both like, <laughs> yeah. People are like, do you want to play a, with a Ouija with us? We're like, mm, we'll uh, yeah. jump off the building now. We're fine. I just feel like <laughs> we're going to lighting. Like, I don't want to yeah. invite anything. Whether right. or not it's real, I don't want to tempt it. I'm a big right? believer in intention. And I think like mm-hmm. if you're 
actively seeking that things on other planes are going to use whatever they can to communicate with you. That's why flashlights work when they go and do like investigations. It's mm -hmm. not because flashlights are like so fascinating to like, you know, entities. It's because it's something that we comprehend they're touching and they can comprehend that they're touching. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if I was, you know, an entity on the other side and I wanted to communicate to someone, whether it was a good or bad, I would use, what i mean someone's sitting down like hey talk to me i'll be like sure let's talk yeah i love it okay so first story is from sean so he said here's one of my experiences with the ouija board it took place back in 2014 i was hanging out with my best friend cody his wife samantha and her sister cassie from what i can remember it was around mid-spring as a lot of conversations between cody and i seemed to do the topic led to the paranormal after each of us finished sharing various experiences, the next thing I remember, it had gotten later in the evening and Cody, Cassie, and I are outside on the front porch messing around with a homemade Ouija board we made from a thick piece of cardboard and for the planchette, we used a shot glass. Samantha absolutely refused to be part in this and instead decided to go lay down with their then two-year-old son, Gabriel. At first, we were asking the basic questions, is anyone here, what's your name, etc. Nothing really happened. All of a sudden, the shot glass, which we had one index finger on top of, began slowly moving on its own, spelling out the word hello. We were all startled and amazed. We began asking random questions, but the one that stands out to me is when Cody asked if he and Samantha were ever going to have another baby. It slowly moved to yes, then began spelling out Emma, E-M-M-A. At this point, Cody is at a loss for words, and I once again ask, who's here with us? And then it spelled out the word legion, and then it went to goodbye, and in which the shot glass fell off the table. Oh, Years no. after the, yeah, right, I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, I read that, I got chills. I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I like it. Oh, no. And then the kicker is, years after this, Samantha would turn up pregnant. And even though not one of us, out of meaning the three, told her what happened with the Ouija board that night, she actually gave birth to a beautiful baby girl in which she named Emma and who what? will be turning two soon. Wow. wow. I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> oh no. That implies it knows the future. Or... <sighs> right? Oh. Ooh. And now... Mm. The second story, so the one from Aaron, it kind of ties into when you were talking about the wars and stuff in the past. So her story is, my Nana told me never to touch a Ouija board. It was it was early December 1944 when my great-grandmother Anne was sitting with friends, drinking tea and reminiscing about their husbands overseas serving on the Western Front. All of the women had been corresponding with their husbands and the letters were coming in slower and with more delays, their frustration and curiosity got the best of them. And when one of them suggested using a Ouija board to get answers, a majority of them jumped at the chance. Great Grandma Anne noped out of there and, <laughs> and sat back saying, messing with darkness is a surefire way to end up in the depth of it. I Ooh, love Great Grandma Anne. That is deep <laughs> and I love it. Right? The other women didn't heed her warning and continued to set up the game and ask, where is my husband? How is he doing? Will he come home? Their spirits sank as the answers came back with negatives, void of even false hope. But it was just a game, a jest, right? They moved on and went back to waiting for the news from the front. But then the letters stopped and new ones came saying, we're sorry to inform you, they started. Mm -hmm. Some came back with knocks on the door and flags in hand. 
Some came with phone calls and sorrow-filled voices. And one by one, through the winter of 44, every woman who touched the board was widowed. My great-grandma, Anne, who stayed in the light, was the only one of the eight whose husband came home, while the others had died of frostbite, infection, or simply vanished. Oh, my Great-grandpa- God. Right? It's like what? super intense deaths, too. Oh, I was like, this oh. is. Holy <laughs> Great-grandpa Kay was the only Indiana boy from their neighborhood who survived the Battle of the Bulge. He credited his survival to his wife's desire to stay in the light and not slip into temptation because messing with the darkness was a surefire way for it to end up in the depth of it. So, of course, a 16-year-old girl who had grown up listening to this story had an ingrown fear of the boards. What kind of monsters could you unleash if your fingers grazed one? What kind of darkness would steal away the lives of men and lives of women? Why would anyone take the chance? A dare, of course. And then a little liquid courage. (laughs) In a hotel room in the old part of Pocatello, Idaho, five girls sat around a cloth Ouija board, a hand-carved talisman, and a makeshift witch to lead them through. They started with opening the circle. The The questions were benign. Is there anyone with us? The answer was yes. Who? Elizabeth. And they went on with her age, where she lived, and how did she die? Then the questions just went unanswered. And so we asked, Elizabeth, are you here with us? No. Who's with us now? Jasper. How do you know Elizabeth? Or do you know Elizabeth? Yes. How? I killed her. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't like it. No. <laughs> uh, beyond marginally freaked out, the girls closed the circle, said a prayer for Elizabeth, a game, a jest, maybe. The witch was known for her sense of humor, but later when a darkness thicker than smoke came to the 16-year-old girl in her backyard and a dog who never growled went defensive, great-grandma Anne's words came back. Messing with the darkness is a surefire way to end up in the depth of it. Can bet your bottom dollar I hightailed it inside, mutt on my heels, straight to the Bible, clutching it to my chest and singing, I am a child of God, only putting it down when the feeling of peace crushed the feeling of darkness. Thrice, I, I just love that she wrote thrice because of Shit's yeah. Creek. <laughs> just saying. I have now asked thrice for a towel. <laughs> oh, gosh. Thrice more it happened, and thrice more I cried and sang and tried to banish the energy. The witch gave me sage. Sage your life, save your life. Yes, the motto we live by. (laughs) And after cleansing, the darkness abated. It hasn't returned for 10 years. To this day, I refuse to touch a Ouija board. The monsters are leashed for now. Wow. (laughs) Couple of things. That is amazing writing. (laughs) Yes. What a story. What a tale. Right. You have woven. Oh, no <laughs> thanks, though. <laughs> oh, I know. Poor Aaron. <laughs> oh, I know. Just great grandma Anne, though. Like, I know. I'm like, be my great grandma. I love you. <laughs> right? My grandma was just like, Ouija's of the devil. Like, don't talk. Like, very much that. You will go to hell. And I'm like, uh, there's a lot of things that could put me in hell. Like, <laughs> it's more of the whole demon, like, taking over my life and ruining it that I don't want. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just. Ooh. Chills. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was Yikes. so good. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> oh, that had everything. Got all historical, but yeah, that would make sense. Like we're talking about wars, of course. Yeah. If you were just, you had no idea what happened to your person, just desperate right. to find out. Yeah, mm-hmm. you would be tempted. 
I'm sure I would be. I'm spoiled. When he gets deployed, he texts me like every 10 minutes. I can't imagine <laughs> waiting for a letter. <laughs> oh my God, right? Oh. <laughs> Crazy. It's amazing. Like when you were telling the history of it, like how many times like surgeon yeah. of the sales came with these like huge war. And I honestly, it could also be that women are home and they're getting together and like book club just isn't yeah. enough anymore. Like <laughs> what should Ouija we do? Club. What should we do? Let's get out the Ouija and like, yeah, see if our husbands are alive or like, you know, talk to someone, you know, I don't think I would be like, is my husband alive? I think I'd be too scared to ask that question. I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like ask the questions like, uh, I don't know. What's your favorite did, color? Right. Or like, <laughs> how did this happen? You know, ask Has like, Bundy this, and you? Right. <laughs> 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 is Ted oh. Bundy in a specific part of hell? Do we get to like stay away <laughs> when we go? Like, you know, right. <laughs> I hope so. Shit. <laughs> Lord. Yeah. A special level. Hopefully. Here's like the one thing that I always think about with like heaven and hell type situations is according to the Bible, all you have to do is like repent of your sins and mean it. I always think like, what if Ted Bundy in like the last hours of his life repented and meant it and then like got into heaven? No, God, I hope not. Like that is like the one, like think about it. Like that's the one thing that gets you into heaven is that you repent of your sins and Mm. then live the rest of your life according to that and if you only did it for like this much time yeah but he he's disgusting and love that shit too much so i feel like if he tried and then he got up there they'd be like "Mm, no bye hit the button send him down yeah (laughs) i really hope i really hope it's like okay like no because like i've that has been a thought in my head like my entire life you know like hitler could have gone to heaven it's like that scene from the mummy where that dude's about to get eaten by the mummy and he starts praying to every god ever and pulls out the necklace and right. does every language. It's kind of like that. I feel like the intention, whatever god you believe in, is probably like, come on, man. You were just praying to the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you didn't mean it. What are you talking about? I mean, Tabani is a total sociopath, so I'm sure there was no, like, even if he tried it. The intention probably wasn't there. Yeah. Or he probably thought he was still above it or something. Like, I'm better. Ugh. No, that's just like one of you know, like you have those thoughts yeah. over time in your life, and you're like, if I get to heaven, like if I do good work and I get to heaven and Ted Bundy's there, I I'm gonna ask for like a recount, please. Like, that's not fair. <laughs> like like we, did you did you see what happened? <laughs> I mean, I've watched I'd be like, God, I have watched a lot of documentaries on this man. How, I had a podcast. How, I don't right. know, if you know this. <laughs> we did several episodes on him, like how did you let him in? Were you not watching? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you about it. Just, we'll sit down. Let's let's have a long yeah. talk. We got My it. podcast <laughs> in heaven is just me like convincing God to like kick out Ted Bundy. <laughs> oh. Well, we have a thing called a fuck you list on this podcast where like the worst people in history and currently some people that are alive are on there like Ted Cruz. He sucks. But I have like yeah, right. a lot of serial. <laughs> I have a lot of serial killers, but I have like. John Wayne Gacy, thanks for not killing my dad. And then I have Mark Allen Smith, thanks for not killing my mom. Because both my parents met serial killers as children. And I'm like, how am I alive? Because it could have gone terribly wrong for both of them. But it didn't. Oh, my God. My dad lived on the same street as John Wayne Gacy as a kid. Like, well, he was like 17, but he looked like eight because he was just so young looking. But he's like, he's alive is like, yeah, a little too young for me. Yeah. He said that he saw him dressed like bugger all the time driving by and like after 
they, you know, excavated and they got all the victims out. The house was like an empty lot for a really long time. So when my grandmother died, we went up there. I say we, I was a baby, but <laughs> we went up there and they drove by the lot and they were like, it was the creepiest thing they've ever seen. It's a nice house now. I think it's for sale. But yeah, for a long time, it was just a. a Why are all house. these houses back on the market? Literally yeah, that. Like the Lizzie Borden house is on the market. Like Jeffrey Dahmer's was either just on the market or oh, yeah. it's on the market now. Like last year, people were like, let's sell our serial killer houses. We have nothing and, else to do. And the Conjuring house. Like oh, yeah, recently too. Like in the last couple of years. Oh yeah, God. I'm actually <laughs> excited about that because they're turning it into like mm-hmm. either like a like you a B and B. Yeah, like you can actually. I mean, I don't think anything really happened in that house, like because I think it's all a bunch of fucking BS. But like, <laughs> I still would be really interested to go to the Conjuring house and be yeah. like, this is a phenomenon. So the Silence of the Lambs house. Oh is yeah, the that's damn all everything. Of yeah, both I of Lizzie Borden's houses. <laughs> I just think that, like, all, like, true crime podcasters and, like, yes. paranormal, we need to, like, pool our money and buy pod one of these houses and just, like... like a TikTok house, but a pod house. Yes, <laughs> yes. like a spooky pod house. Absolutely. Yes. I was looking at the Lizzie Borden, like, both of her houses, the murder house and then her house after the murders are both for sale for, like, $2 million. I know. <laughs> like but think uh, about the revenue that people make. Like, we when we hi. did the Lizzie case, like, it's not cheap to go and stay at the Lizzie Borden house. It's, like, 400 plus a night. Mm-hmm. Hello, cat. <laughs> this is the Prince of Wallahia, Kitty Lad the Impaler. Wally for short. Hi, Wally. I love it. <laughs> he showed up just like covered in the blood of his enemies the other day. And I was like, I named him well, but what the fuck? <laughs> 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 I don't know what happened. But I was like, oh, God, he got hurt. And there was like, no, none of it was his. And I was like, I don't oh, know shit. what's happening. <laughs> uh, your cat is a serial killer. <laughs> I think so. I, I'm just expecting pikes to start showing up with like heads. <laughs> yeah, he's a little, little sociopath, but he's adorable. <laughs> hi friends let's talk safety i was mugged in college and i feel like after that happened my sense of safety has been uh non-existent (laughs) i carry mace and since moving to texas i've been very nervous about using it because it is so windy here and the wind is just hitting you in every direction so i just know logically that if i were to have to use my mace i would end up macing myself and then that also terrifies me because you know, how do you escape? Can't see. So I was so excited to discover she's Birdie personal alarm and even more excited to get it in the mail. And she cute. I got the coral just in case you want to be a twinsy, but it is loud. I did a demonstration of how to use it and how loud it is and what it looks like with the strobe light on my TikTok, And that's at Kina land. If you want to watch it, it's louder than I expected. And it was loud enough that just demonstrating it was enough that my neighbors all poked their heads across the fence to ask if I was okay. And that says a lot. The alarm decibel is 130. So that's about the equivalent of a jet engine about 100 feet above your head. And the light is very bright. So if you're in the dark or if you have an accident or something and you need to just bring attention to yourself, it's a great tool to have. And it just makes me feel a little safer. And you know, that feeling of safety is it's it's just worth its weight in gold. So if you would like to get 10% off your She's Birdie, go to She'sBirdie.com and put in promo code HISTORICALAF. Again, that's She's Birdie.com, promo code HISTORICALAF. 
Hey there, uterus having giggle water gang. Let's talk about modern fertility. It is a at-home hormone test that can test your general hormone health, your fertility. It can also test for things like PCOS, which affects one in 10 women, including yours truly. It is so incredibly easy. They ship you everything to your home. You prick your finger, you ship it back. I got my results back in less than 10 days. And once you get them, you get a personalized report, one that you can also print out to hand to your doctor. You can also have consultations with fertility nurses and you can join weekly eggnars, get it, webinar, but eggs. It also has a community where you can connect with other people that might have the same kind of questions you do. I was really impressed with this test. It raised some red flags, which led to my PCOS diagnosis, which has been incredibly helpful because if your hormones are off, your whole body is off. And I was having some health problems that I didn't realize were hormone related, including weight gain, depression. And once I've gotten all that sorted, I have been doing so much better. So if you would like to try Modern Fertility, you can get $10 off if you go to modernfertility.com slash historical AF. Again, that is modernfertility.com slash historical AF. Well, we'll end this with a little weird, but I thought since we're talking about creepy games, how about a couple more creepy children's games? Because a lot of games are really weird, like really creepy. And then kids are like, yeah, let's play. (laughs) (laughs) Chances are, if you've watched The Craft or you've ever been to a slumber party, you've probably played Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board, or you've Mm -hmm. at least seen it. I didn't know the history of it, so I was really excited. So a quick rundown of the game if you don't know what it is one person the lifty lays down and crosses their arm over their chest because they're like dead or whatever and then everybody else kneels in a circle around them they put their fingers under the body and then they say like they chant you know light as a feather step is bored and supposedly you're able to lift that person up i was never able to do it i tried it one time at a sleepover it didn't work (laughs) i don't know about you guys no (laughs) I, i don't I have no memory of it ever working, so I think yeah. that would have stuck in my head. I yeah. so no, too. like I looked for the fuck up, like <laughs> she levitated. Surprisingly, the first written account of anybody playing this game was in the 17th century. Wow. I did not think this was going to be that old, so I was blown away. So it came from an Englishman named Samuel Pepys, I think. He was a British naval administrator and a member of parliament. So a very respectable historical person. So people are going to probably believe him. Right. Very reliable. But in his journal, because people used to do that back then, on July 31st, 1665, he mentions a story that his friend, Mr. Brisband, just sounds like, you know, something on a, oh, shit, what's the name of that Netflix thing? Bridgerton. Brisband. Yeah. He told him about a group of girls reciting the following chant over a boy who was laying down. And it's in French, and I'm not going to try it because I cannot speak French to save my life. But it is roughly translated to, Behold dead body, still as stone, cold as marble, light as spirit, we lift you in the name of Jesus Christ. A little different, but... Mm -hmm. A lot different, because, like, there's the whole religious element and, like... Yeah. Hmm. And Maybe course, that's what's wrong. Like we didn't, you know, like we took the Jesus out of we the took Jesus name. out of it. Now we can't levitate people. <laughs> Jesus, is like Damn. that's what you get. Yeah, <laughs> this is my game, not your game. <laughs> and while they chanted, the girls allegedly raised the boy into the air using only their fingertips. Mister Brisbane added that they were able to replicate the trick with somebody else. Quote: The cook of the house, a very lusty fellow who was very big. <laughs> like that's kind of mean. But they said they did raise him in that same manner. So I just love that. Like, it was a little boy, but then they got this big dude, and it worked, too. It's all, it's fine. Hmm. I like that he was called a lustly fella. A lustly fella. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's what I want to be referred to from now on. <laughs> Lusty fella. So around this time, the plague was hitting Europe in waves. And it's pretty understandable that children would be very aware of death because they were seeing it. So they might make games out of it. In 1665, the first recorded instance of children playing this game was when the Black Plague had killed about 15% of London's population. Bodies were sometimes thrown in consecrated rivers as a form of Christian burial. There was just too many bodies to bury, meaning everyone, including children, saw this, saw death on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Must be horrifying. That's when you get like a lot of the nursery rhymes and just a lot of other weird right. games popping Because isn't it Ring Around the Rosie? Like, yeah, I was just thinking that. that. Mm -hmm. And there is some controversy. Some people think that it was not about the plague, but the general understanding is that about, that is about the plague. Yeah. So Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board isn't the only death-related children's game out there around this time. So there were other games like it was just called Priest and Dead Body. And uh, oh. so we were just playing death, which is like, I guess, like maybe a way of dealing with it. Right. A way of coping yeah. mechanism, I guess. <laughs> I mean, if you go to enough funerals, I mean, I, I, I yeah. children have to cope somehow. And then they mm. also played Dead Man Rise, where the children would cover themselves with grass and then they would get up kind of like a zombie and then chase the other kids. <laughs> Like a way more cool version of <laughs> it is like let me bury you really quick and <laughs> so just like light as a feather stiff as a board these were about raising a body from the dead which is kind of scary and magical and thrilling all at once and it was very popular and it's kind of taboo today but again they were just surrounded by death because it was literally everywhere but the only other thing that was everywhere was the bible <laughs> You know, True. medieval Europe was just really into the resurrection. So as Christianity spread throughout the world, liturgical dramas became primary means of entertainment. And priests were forbidden to act in these dramas, which meant that members of the community were playing these roles. So a lot of times children were seeing people acting out, rising from the dead as well. Yeah, okay. It all kind of makes sense once you put it on there. I've never seen like how in the 70s there was like a ton of cop and robber tv shows and then that was like a really popular reenactment game yeah. that kids played it's literally like it's they're just emulating what they see yeah. on tv but this That's is like medieval. Yeah. there's no tv in medieval times <laughs> just in real life, yeah. Oh. yeah just around them they're like oh cool yeah. that guy rose from the dead and everyone clapped like let's do yeah. it yeah was it monty upon the bring out your dead like yeah <laughs> right really tough time <laughs> and like most supernatural games there are you know, experiences, ghostly activity that are usually associated with it. There are people that have claimed to seeing ghosts after playing it. There's one person that said they saw a woman in white that haunted her room for a week after she played. That's a hard pass for me. No, thanks. Mm -hmm. Glad that didn't happen. I I don't even know. Every time we played these games when I was a teenager, I did it like once, but I just like half-assed it. Like I didn't want to try because I didn't really want to see it happen. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> like, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, no, thanks. I'm not trying. You're supposed to use two fingers. You're like, I only pretended to use two Barely fingers. Done. Which is like, I just had my other finger curled. <laughs> it looked like it was extended. Yeah. And of course, other people think playing games like this, you're opening a door to demonic entities and stuff. So there are a lot of spooky stories people playing these things. Mm -hmm. there is a scientific explanation of course there are always one some people say it is witchcraft and black magic and satan it's always satan he's very busy apparently i know <laughs> all things 
Like, if you took, like, Satan and you were, like, of all the things that Satan has to do, like, he's trying to, like, world domination, but he takes time out of his day every day to make sure that, like, preteens can, at a slumber party, can lift their friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's oh, true. Man. I love that show, Lucifer, because he makes comments occasionally being like, I don't even do that. <laughs> or, like, that wasn't me. <laughs> That show is one of those things where I was watching. I'm like, why am I sympathizing with the devil so much? <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> I feel weird. Okay. Da -da. So a lot of people are like, anybody that's seen anybody try this never nails it the first time or ever. And it just comes down to science. So it's about leveraging weight. So some people have been able to do it. It's about several people doing it. And then there's also this phenomenon of memory biased memories where some people be like oh that totally happened when i was a kid because they just think it did but it did never yeah happen. right mm -hmm. the mandela effect yeah there was a 2007 paper that found that we don't completely remember an event completely we'll subconsciously recreate it in a way the way it should have gone so you know when you play that game it should have worked so that's how our memories play so it makes sense I don't remember a lot of memories as a kid, so it makes sense that probably a lot of them are kind of piecing together things I've seen on TV because I do way more of that watching TV than <laughs> other things I should be doing. Oh, the other thing that's really cool is that this game is mostly associated with young girls. While boys were participants, usually the dead person, it was usually just girls doing it. And that's kind of been associated with girls are usually associated with witchcraft and a lot of that mm -hmm. stuff too some other people have hypothesized that these stories come from the adolescent desire for young women to gain some kind of control over their lives because for so many centuries we had literally no control people are really psychoanalyzing this but it kind of makes sense and mm -hmm. even today apparently there's a lot of youtube videos people are still playing it so and then there's also that phenomenon like how do people know about these stories? Like, where did we hear from them? But it's all word of mouth. And now it's like the internet. Everybody sees stuff. And right. like the craft came out. Everybody saw it. But it's just so interesting that for so many centuries, people are playing the same games. But for so long, <laughs> we didn't have a way to spread that. So it was just all oral right. history. I think it helps that it was taboo. Like mm -hmm. that it was something that we weren't supposed to play. You know, it just got passed down from generation either as like a warning, like don't do this because this is of the devil. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to go do that because <laughs> that's literally, that's how teens minds work. Or it's like the fascination of reading a journal or finding it out. And you think you're special because you've done this thing that's supposed to be taboo. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And then the last game is bloody Mary. <laughs> Ooh, I don't mess with that either. You know. <laughs> yeah, I never did that either. I remember people like, let's do it. And I'm like, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> it was a fun time as a teenager. I didn't do shit. <laughs> no, I'm good. I, I want to live a long life. I don't right. want a demon. So <laughs> nobody really knows how long people have been telling the story of Bloody Mary, but historians are attempting to trace the roots. Starting about 1970, some historians really started trying to dive into like, the truth and where it came from and all these stories, which I find, again, where do these historians come up with these ideas? Like, I'm going to be a Bloody Mary historian. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I really missed out. I should have done something way cooler for my thesis. Anyway, the details of Bloody Mary tend to vary, but the basic tenets are always the same. You enter a dark space 
with like a candle. You look into a mirror and you're chanting something for a specific number of times. There's a lot of variations. The most popular being Bloody Mary. Some people say, I believe in Bloody Mary. There's even a, I killed your baby Bloody Mary. It's a like regional and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. So. And if the ritual is performed correctly, quote unquote, Bloody Mary might appear in the mirror. She might reach out of the mirror. She might scratch your face. Why would you want that? I don't know. And then some people think that she might be released from the afterlife to haunt you forever. Again, why would you unlock that? (laughs) Other versions of the story include the mirror dripping with blood, people's hairs turning white, or, you know, the participant disappearing without a trace. Which, again, why would you ask for that? I just don't know. Mm-mm. Such a buzzkill. Folklore experts searching for the origins behind the legend have several different stories. A unique, quite Freudian take on the legend. And this dude can just... His name is Alan Dundies, I think. He suggested the story is an initiation ritual into womanhood and notes the Bloody Mary legend might revolve around the blood suddenly appearing and that the ritual typically taking place in the bathroom with girls is... Because we're on the edge of puberty. I'm like, are, are you really? That's where you went with that. Girls want to do this because we're about to have our periods. <laughs> no. This is me shaming you publicly, Alan. No. <laughs> oh, my God. That's Damn like, it, Alan. <laughs> that time in a, in a person in a woman's life is like terrifying. Because yeah. like, even if you're prepared for that moment, like still like that fear of carry like pops into your head like i'm dying what the hell right like yes. this isn't supposed to happen oh, but then to yeah. add in there like a layer of it oh well really this is your bloody mary like oh yeah. bloody mary is supposed to be served with a side of bacon and you know <laughs> yeah. on a sunday morning at brunch there should be if that appeared in the mirror mirror i'd be fine just oh, okay. right, right? Like, that'd we'd be, be playing all the time <laughs> Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, if there was some kind of weird ritual, like coming of age thing, I'm sure some cultures have that, but I'm like, I mm-hmm. I think he's missing the point here. Yeah. Most of us were so, but there's such a stigma on periods that when you're a young teenager, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want anybody to know about it and you're embarrassed and oh, we yeah. wouldn't be in a group <laughs> like let's summon our periods together girls <laughs> but i feel like now it's not it's that comedian bert i can't remember Kess- kessler i think his name is he's really funny he's the guy who does like all his comedian all his shows with a shirt off and he's not like he's definitely got a dad bod so <laughs> it's amazing but he talks about his daughter calling him to tell him that she had this like and he's like i don't know what to do call your mom she's like no no no, i'm fine mom already like prepared me but i want to have a period party and basically like bought red kool-aid and like red velvet cake and like all this (laughs) stuff and they invited there was like eight girls and they invited two boys and like it was like the girls joke that the boys didn't get it (laughs) and like the dad like Bert was so excited about it he dressed in like all red and like was just like super happy and I'm like I feel like I wish that was my experience because I was so embarrassed Mm -hmm. I was I told Tara this last week or a week before I remember there was like this girl in sixth grade who told the entire class that I had gotten my period and I wanted to die and I'm like looking back, I'm like, I wish I had had a party. Yeah. Right? You know? <laughs> yeah. I did not have a great experience. Although I've always been riddled with horrific cramps from the first one. And I'm like, why do people are okay with this? <laughs> I hate this. But I also think it's funny that it's a dude being like, I figured it out. I understand this perfectly. 
Like, I think you missed the mark <laughs> She's here. She's just menstruating. She's fine. <laughs> of There's nothing really happening here. Uh, if I could have done a ritual to start it without cramps, I would have totally done that too. But right. here we are. And there's there's other- a lot of women out here who'd be like, I would r- much rather deal with Bloody Mary. Absolutely. So there's other theories that have like a historical perspective. Bloody Mary may have been one of the following women. It it gets wild. So, of course, the first one, you know, once you have a good nickname, it's really hard to shake it off. So Queen Mary, a.k.a. Mary Tudor, has been known as Bloody Mary throughout history. She put nearly 300 Protestants to death for heresy and her attempts to make England more Catholic. Fun fact, Three Blind Mice, that nursery rhyme is based on her. She's just, you know, murdering everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's also, like, theories that because she couldn't have children, you know, she was just vengeful because, you know, women are nothing if they don't have children. I hate that trope, too. But, like, mm-hmm. she's, you know, forever in the afterlife searching for the children she never had. So that one gets really dark and sad. But that's probably the one most people have heard the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, some. The queen who on purpose decided not to get married and have children? Uh, well, this is her sister. She actually had, oh. I think, uterine cancer. So she looked oh. pregnant, but she couldn't have kids. Mm. Pretty sure it was uterine cancer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then she died. And then Elizabeth I took over. That's right. She also Sorry. did not have kids. I got my, I got my, the movie. The tutors are very head. confusing. There's many Sorry. of them. So many of them. But the next is also another Mary and it was her cousin. So Mary, Queen of Scots is believed to be associated just because she was surrounded by so much bloodshed. She didn't really kill a lot of people, but everybody around her was getting murdered. So she had... Yeah, yeah, so her husband to her cousin, her marriage to her cousin, the Earl of Darnley, he stabbed a dude 56 times in front of her while she was pregnant, so that was a little vicious. And then he mysteriously disappeared and she kind of got blamed for it. Everybody was like, she totally did that because he did that thing. Do you blame her? Yeah. (laughs) No. <laughs> like, are we mad about it? He stabbed someone. Like, guys, yeah. and she was just screwed from infancy. You know, she was queen at like mm-hmm. two days yeah. old, and then yeah. shipped off to France, and then told she was queen of a country she'd never been to, and yeah. she wanted to be Catholic. And then you know, England was supposed to be Protestant, so the Protestants were like, "We're going to bring you in here." Yeah, it was just like a whole thing. So she didn't really have a lot of control in her life. So things start going downhill and she scoops up her son who ends up being the king of England in the future. And she went to her cousin, Queen Elizabeth I. And Elizabeth's like, nah, bitch, you're going to take over. So she imprisons her for like 19 years. And then her death was awful. So bad. So she was sentenced to have her head, you know, chopped off. And unfortunately, she got a really, really bad executioner. And it took a lot of tries to, to, to kill her. He was hacking for a really long time. I just, I can't even imagine because the first so many times you're still alive. That's why I just, I can't. So mm-hmm. I would hope her body would have gone into shock at least. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. yeah. It, I would hope because mm-hmm. like he missed and hit her back and then he like, it was just. Oh ugh. my God. Yeah. Like he just I- couldn't get the neck. And I'm sorry. Like, you get one try. If you fail, like that's it. Like we tried. Yeah. You're good. That's why, like, Anne Boleyn, I'm glad they gave her the kindness of allowing her to have a French executioner that used a sword because he was super sharp and he distracted her and it was over. (laughs) She was just, she didn't even know it was coming. But some people Mm -hmm. did not get that luxury. And Mm -hmm. then after he finally successfully beheaded her, he tried to grab her head to be like, long live the queen, but he just grabbed her wig and then the head rolled onto the ground. It was awful. It was gruesome. 
So very bloody. So that's mm. kind of where that comes from. The next one's Elizabeth Bathory, who's known as like the queen of blood. Mm. Some people call her the most prolific serial killer ever. There's a lot of also new stuff coming out that she might not have killed anybody. That it was just a way of tarnishing her legacy because she was a rich mm. woman that had a lot of power and all the men hated her. So that one's a little depends on which camp you're in. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of believe it because the guy that accused her was the guy that saw everything and everybody else was like, oh, yeah, I believe that guy. But he was mm. he hated her. So it's kind of can go either way. But if she did kill people, her death count is around 600. So super yeah. bloody. Yeah. And then Mary Worth was a witch executed in Salem. So people said that she was part of the reverse Underground Railroad where she would bring slaves under false pretenses and then send them back south to make money. And then there were rumors you know, another legend in the town that she practiced the dark arts and started torturing and killing slaves for her rituals. It's very, um, who is the person in New Orleans that tortured? Um, Madame Lurie. Yeah, it's Madame got Lurie. that kind of vibes. But again, that's these are all rumors. So mm-hmm. regardless, nobody knows who this is, but there's just a lot of women in history. Some of them pretty misunderstood that people were like, oh yeah, she has nothing better to do than <laughs> go into mirror and these possible mirror witch games have roots in old time divining rituals involved unmarried girls trying to find their future husbands those are really popular throughout history there are a number of variations where some are chanting rhymes in a darker room on a special night so they probably evolved from that there's always been a concept that mirrors are portals between the worlds so that probably is another thing and this shows up a lot in funerals, especially in the like, Victorian area. They always covered all the mirrors because they thought that mm-hmm. if you looked into the mirror, the deceased person would be like trapped forever. And so the science <laughs> shit on it again. So if you stare into a mirror in a dimly lit room for a really long time, you start to hallucinate. That's just how your brain works and your eyes work. So facial features will start to melt, distort, disappear, rotate. And some people can start seeing other things. So it's a optical illusion. It's called the strange face illusions. A lot of scientists were like, we know why this happens. There's a few other like optical illusion explanations, but that one's the most popular. Because I think if you look for something long enough and you freak yourself out long enough, you're going to see something. True. I agree with that. But I was never brave enough to do it, so I don't know. <laughs> Can't tell you. If no. you did do it and you saw something, let me know. <laughs> we did an episode on Bloody Mary and I was like, made sure like no mirrors in the room. <laughs> like I was like, everything is out or covered or not looking at. And then counting how many times I said it. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm, I am not. I think at the time I had a mirror like behind me and I'm like, I'm not mm-hmm. about to have her come out of a mirror because I'm not paying attention. Oh, right. Yeah. There's some like really creepy mirror stuff. There's, have you heard of the black swan inn in san antonio Mm -mm. Mm -mm. they have like a mirror portal thing and it's supposed to be like super demony thing and it's like in a closet like that's the whole purpose is like they made it to be that in like the 1800s Mm -hmm. or something and they're just very casual about it like yeah look at our little demon portal thing just don't look at it too hard like what just just quick don't turn the light on look away yeah (laughs) yeah it's very they do a paranormal expo I was going to go and then COVID happened. I was like, I don't know if I really want to see it. The mirrors creep me out. Hmm. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. Better luck next time, demons. I'm afraid of everything. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm one of those people, like, I go to, like, haunted things. I'm like, I want to see a ghost. But I'm so unobservant. I don't think I'd ever even notice if one was doing something. But then also, I'd be so scared if they did. <laughs> so I'm like, haunt me, you fucks. And then I'd also, like, please don't. Leave me alone. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Like, I, I wanted, before COVID, my husband and I were trying to get a bed and breakfast to, like, start a business. And then COVID happened and it all with shit. But it was a... Uh, supposedly haunted and a part of me is like i'm so excited and then a part of me is like i don't know if i want to sleep here (laughs) (laughs) just like i'm not gonna sleep in the building i'm gonna sleep like in a building behind the building yeah (laughs) which the basement was a morgue for a while it was a hospital for about (gasps) 10 years and so i was like this would be so cool and i was like this would be really cool to like podcast with like paranormal people like come visit stay at the bed and breakfast but i was like i'm also scared so i don't know (laughs) right (laughs) you stay the night i'm dipping bye (laughs) i was thinking that earlier i was like oh my god it'd be really cool to like podcast from a haunted place yeah. But like obviously Tara and I are not in the same location, so we can't like pod we'd have to go together because there's no yeah. fucking way I'm doing it by myself. Like sitting there <laughs> in a- I'll be in the room by myself, but there's no way I'm gonna be in the building by myself. Yeah. So. I'm so glad you guys joined me. This was so much fun. Yeah, yeah thank you so fun. much for having us. I want to thank three spook girls again for joining me on this episode. I had such a great time, and they are both so incredibly lovely. And they really kind of creeped me out with that last Ouija board story. Not going to (laughs) lie. If you would like to watch the full episode and all its blooper filled and deleted scene glory, go to patreon.com slash historical AF to join today. And for future episodes, you can watch them live. You can comment along as well as other perks like extra episodes. The higher you get, you can get merch, you get letters in the mail, And just for being a Patreon, you get access to our Discord server, our Facebook group. I do a drawing once a month for just some sort of gift. And it's just a really great community. I'm not lying when I say we're all truly friends. It's a level of support I've I've rarely seen in any other kind of online group. And I would love for you to be a part of the Patreon fam. So again, that's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. We have some new merch in the merch store, including I Like History and Maybe Three People. Can't talk right now. I'm doing history nerd shit. And then a jar with Rasputin on it that says, if you know, you know. And I know you guys know. I know you know. And that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. And if you're listening today on the 28th of March, 2021, it is 20% off today only. So get it now. If you'd like to send us a story for the extra AF episode, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. I want to hear your favorite historical places, a historical nugget you've been dying to tell somebody. If you have a really cool ancestor story or your town has something super cool about it, let me know. As always, you can join us on social media. That's historicalafpod at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also, if you want to follow me on TikTok, do the Tiki Talkie. I've been doing a lot of history content, a lot of nerd content. I would love for you to follow me and hang out when I do lives. I want to I want to talk to you guys. That'd be awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And next week, I have a super special guest. I have Shubes from Potterless going to be on for Games Part 2, as well as Dion. You guys know and love her from past episodes. I'm super pumped. You're going to love it. And I'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Hi, I'm Tina Hadamio. And I'm Hilary Doherty. And we host the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. Hey, Tina, did you know that Elvis crashed the Nixon White House for the sole purpose of getting a DEA badge and it worked? What? <laughs> 
or how a gun control advocate senator out of California engaged in gun trafficking with notorious gang leader Shrimp Boy. <laughs> Shrimp Boy, I remember him. Okay, so you know we cover all of that and more from maladies, madness, mischief, and murder in U.S. politics. And we also host a bi-weekly interview segment called Lil Muck. We interview politicians, journalists, activists, and others who share their experiences in politics. Find The Muck Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on social media at The Muck Podcast.